Hello, and welcome to Suite 212, putting the arts in their social, cultural, political and historical context here on Resonance 104.4 FM, still London's most interesting and innovative station after more than two decades on the air. I'm your host, Juliet Jakes, and today we're going to discuss the life and work of Usman Semben, one of post-colonial Africa's most important writers and arguably its most important filmmaker. With me today is Dr. Samba Gajigo, who's the Helen Day Gould Professor of French at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, with a special interest in Senegalese film. He was a personal friend of today's subject, writing a biography entitled Usman Semben, Unconscience Africaine, as well as co-directing the documentary Semben with Jason Silverman in 2015, and producing The Making of Mulada about Semben's final film in 2004. He co-founded Galet Chedo Projects in 2008 to create projects that, in the spirit of Usman Semben, encourage the use of modern storytelling tools to galvanise and liberate the disempowered. He's also been involved in the archiving of Semben's works and materials and the restoration of Semben's films for global retrospectives. So, Samba, welcome to Suite 212. Hey, thank you very, very much. It's a great pleasure to participate in this forum on on not only Semben, African cinema, but also world cinema. Born in Ziganshaw village in southern Senegal in January 1923, Usman Semben went on to be regarded as the father of African cinema. And it's for his 11 films that he made before his death in 2007 that he remains best known in the Anglophone world. Although he also wrote seven novels, two novellas and plenty of short fiction much of which explores colonial legacies, neo-colonialism, post-colonial corruption and disappointment, the nature of post-independent Senegal and Africa more widely. His mother tongue was Wolof, spoken in what's now Senegal, Gambia and Mauritania, but he also spoke Arabic and French. He was expelled from his colonial school in the 1930s and then worked with his father, a fisherman, before he moved to Dakar, the capital of French West Africa, and did manual labour in the late 1930s. In 1944, Semben was drafted into the Senegalese Tirailleurs, a corps of the French army, and did World War II service with the Free French Forces. He returned home and participated in the railway strike in 1947, before stowing away to France, where he worked in a Citroën factory in Paris, and then for 10 years as a docker in Marseille, where he joined the CGT Union and the Communist Party, helping to lead a strike to hinder shipments for the French colonial war in Vietnam. He returned home again in 1960, when Senegal became independent, under President Leopold Sadar Senghor, a poet and cultural theorist of the Negritude literary movement, who also wrote the new national anthem. So someone else I'd like to talk about briefly um, as sort of background for Semben's own upbringing is the fact that Senegal had quite a privileged, Senegal had a reasonably privileged status within the French empire. Um, Men in Senegal's four main cities, including the capital Dakar, could vote for French National Assembly representatives from the 19th century onwards. And a fairly central figure to early 20th century Senegalese French relations was uh, a man called Blaise Diagne, who said, we are French and we have the same rights. And he won an election to represent Senegal and moved to Paris in 1914, where he supported the recruitment of West African troops during the First World War, predicting correctly that wartime service would guarantee 
future concessions from the French government uh, and eventually uh, were given full citizenship um, for people who fought on the Western Front and elsewhere. So, um, you know, he's, he's quite an interesting character. Um, indeed, he was so keen for France and Senegal to be close that W.E. Dubois called him a Frenchman who is accidentally black. Um, but I think he's, he's interesting because he anticipates something of the closeness between France and Senegal that would continue after the First World War and indeed after independence um, with Leopold Senghor, um, maintaining pretty close relations with the French government, which I think is something we'll, we'll come back to as the show progresses. But I mention all of this because I think it has an influence on Semben, um, both before and after he um, moves to France and has a sort of political and literary awakening. So, Samba, I'd like to bring you back in now and, and maybe ask you um, about how um, Semben's experiences um, in uh, French West Africa and then in Marseille um, maybe uh, affected something of his creative development? Well, certainly, yes. And thank you again for the for the invitation. It's uh, good that you mentioned Blaise Diagne as a starting point of our conversation because uh, Blaise Diagne was very, very symptomatic of how the colonial powers instrumentalized, created and instrumentalized a local elite to consolidate its oeuvre and its expansion in French West Africa. Uh, yes, it's good that you mentioned that Du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois mentioned Blaise Diagne because again, Blaise Diagne is a concretization of the French doctrine of assimilation. How can we create it? Black Africans. But at the same time, Blaise Diagne, as I hinted at, was member of maybe 1% of Senegalese society because to enjoy French citizenship in Senegal, at least, you had to be born in four cities, Saint-Louis, Gore, Refisk, and Dakar. Those were French citizens, whereas the bulk of the French colonial empire, whether it is French West Africa or Equatorial Africa, they were all French subjects. No right, uh, forced labor, colonized and exploited. So I think Semben was everything that Blaise Diagne was not. Blaise Diagne was fighting for integration into the French empire, the same way we could pursue civil rights movement here in the United States, whereas Semben was for a total independence from France. So they were at the polar opposites of each other. So, and when Semben arrived, of course, in, um, in, in Marseille in 1947, a lot of water had gone under the bridge. Semben was born in 1923, mostly in a region that was not part of the French citizens, but of the French subjects. That's one. Second, the Casamance, southern region of Senegal he was born in, 
was actually under rebellion. Even today, in 2021, there is a separatist movement in the Casamance that had not only opposed Portuguese colonization in the 18th century, but also rejected French colonization in the 19th century and re rejected the integration of Casamance into Senegal after, after 1962. So that's where Semben was born of a father who was a fisherman illiterate. Himself went to school in 19, he was born 1923. In 1930, he went to school. Already in 1938, he was expelled from school. So he was a, um, he became a manual laborer in Dakar in the 30s, and then was drafted in the French colonial army in um, February 1st, 1944, to go fight during World War II to liberate France from German occupation. So he has been an instrument of French colonization. He has been exploited by colonial forces, has been used by France for its own freedom. And then he lands in Marseille in 1947, after Germans have been expelled from France. Of course, the Marshall Plan in the United States had launched this monumental project to reconstruct Europe to protect it against communists. But Samben, when he arrived, he arrived as a manual laborer, became member of the most, then most, most powerful trade union called the CGT, Confederation Générale du Travailleur, which was a union, and then he became member of the Communist Party. So you can already see that if you could run parallel the itinerary of Blaise Diagne and that of Sam Benson, where, as I said, are the polar opposites. Uh, Blaise Jan was used even to recruit soldiers in, in Africa in the name of France already during World War I. So, but Semen, as we'll come up to it later, his, all his work, whether it is all his militant work, all his literary work and his film work were exactly aimed at cutting the ties, the political, the economic, under the exploitative ties with France. Yeah, and his early writings deal uh, partly with um, his experiences in Marseille, um, but partly with um, life in Africa and in Senegal. Um, the novel that really makes his name is God's Bits of Wood, um, which comes out in 1960, and it's based on a um, an epic 1947 strike against the French on the Dakar to Niger railway. Um, it's a really interesting novel. It was my discovery of, of Semben was this novel, and I think it's um, it was one of the novels that really put him alongside people like Chinua Achebe and Ngugi Wationgo as leading post-colonial African yes. writers. That's right. Yes, 90, uh, he wrote, he published uh, Guts Bits of Wood, which unanimously critics dubbed as his masterpiece. But then there is something that led to that novel. There was the first autobiographical novel, Black Docker, which he published in, um, which is published in 1956. Uh, maybe a few months before that novel, actually, he had his first ever published work was a poem titled Liberté, Freedom, which is basically 
his vision and his political, literary, and artistic program in which he sees himself as, quote, the griot of Africa, meaning the Africa's storyteller. Because uh, he has been a political activist. He has fought in Marseille against the war in Algeria. He has marched in Marseille against the Korean War. He has marched in Marseille against the war in Indochina. But very early on, he understood that more than political activism and the union activism on the ground, more than that, he thought what could genuinely participate in awakening Africa was storytelling. Because the colonial enterprise itself was substantiated by storytelling, the stories were told in colonial writings, in newspapers, in films, as a portrayal of Africa as a justification. Therefore, if Africans have to be free and enter into dialogue with other peoples on equal footing, Africa had also had to recover its own stories. So he decided, I'm going to be the voice of the voiceless Africans. Because let's mind before even Semben, before he arrived in Marseille in 1947, there was already a culture, a black cultural movement born in Paris in the 30s, which was called the Negritude Movement. The Negritude Movement was born out of that encounter between African-Americans who had left the US after the Harlem Renaissance in the 20s and early 30s, with the encounter of Caribbean writers who left Martinique, Guadeloupe, and Guyana also in the 1930s, and African students who wanted to further their education. So the encounter of Africa and the diaspora in Paris had already created an intellectual class that had started claiming those African roots through a Black movement called the Negritude Movement. But the Negritude Movement, by and large, was just a platform for intellectuals, of course, to try to tell about their own encounter with the West and so on. So Anderson Bell realized that 99.99% of Africans did not find voice in that platform. Walkers, fishermen, farmers, women. So he decided that he's going to be such a writer. So he published that first poem, which called Liberty, where exactly he says he's going to be a new griot of Africa, storyteller of Africa. Then 1956, he published that novel, The Black Docker. 1957, he published a second novel, which is Oh Country, My Beautiful People, which has never been translated into English. Then came the book you are alluding, alluding to, which is um, uh, Guts, Bits of Wood which became very, very important because it was inspired by true stories. True stories of the first 1947 trade union movement in Senegal, not only in Senegal, but in West Africa, comprising the colonies of Senegal and the colonies of Mali, which was traversed by the railroad constructed by the French. For the first time we see in writing a group of Africans who stand up and claim their rights. And the novel also is important even before that union movement, 
because it put Africa into the, the different evolutions of Africa from rural to urban, right? So uh, all the different transformations and the industrialization and the birth of a proletarian class. The acquisition of class consciousness, not just the race consciousness that was germane to the negative movement, but also a class consciousness. And whereas all other writers were trying to unite Africa along racial lines, Semben said it's only Marxism, it's only along class lines, it's only through labor that we can unite the continent in our fight against colonization. That's why, what does what Guts Victor Wood became this very, very important novel that puts Semben on the map of world literature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, for one thing, it led to him going to the Soviet Union and training as a filmmaker um, under a filmmaker called Mark Donskoy, who is not as well known as a number of other um, of, of his Soviet contemporaries, but was um, an interesting and important filmmaker in the USSR um, in the kind of socialist realist vein. Um, and this is one of the things that sets really sets Semben apart from his post-colonial African contemporaries, I think. Um, I don't know how many of the other writers move into filmmaking, but certainly Semben uh, does so uh, to a level that is is beyond any of the others. And, um, you know, you, you alluded to literacy earlier. Um, I think Semben wanted to move into filmmaking largely as a way of communicating with audiences that he maybe couldn't reach through uh, novels and short stories. So I wondered if you would maybe like to um, expand on uh, Semben's motives for going into filmmaking? Yes, he has mentioned in very, very strong terms and in many interviews that him personally, he prefers to read a book than to watch a film. But he realized after he came back to Africa in 1960, after independence, with three books under his belt and the pretense to speak to the African people, he realized he was speaking to a war because at the time, more than 80% of Africans were illiterate in any language. So how then to connect with his intended audience Literature would not do it. But then at the same time, and this is very, very interesting, the Berlin Conference for the Sharing of Africa happened in 1885 in Germany, in Berlin. Four years later, or five years later, no, 10 years later, rather, in 1895, cinematography was invented. So meaning then, as a medium of expression, cinema was invented in the heydays of the colonial enterprise. And it took only five years for cinematic representation to reach the shores of Africa, namely in Senegal. So cinema has been instrumentalized in the colonization of Africa in projecting images that would later on justify the colonial enterprise, the white man's burden to bring light into 
the, the darkness of the, of the African continent. So cinema then played a very, very important role. And it just so happened the same way that in the early 20th century, African writers appropriated the language of the master and the pen of the master and wrote back to the master. Well, cinema also happened to penetrate Africa and Africans used the cinema themselves to self-represent and to represent their relationship with them. Anyway, Sembe realized that only cinematic language, cinematographic language could help him break through the barrier of thousands of languages that exist in Africa, and also to break through the colonial languages to use the image and the movement and the sound and the, the metaphors, right? The cultural icons of Africa to be able to reconnect with African people. That's how he turned to cinema. And he turned to cinema, first, of course, naturally he tried to get training in France, it did not work out, but then he ended up going to the Soviet Union, to the Gorky, Maxim Gorky studios with filmmaker Mark Donskoy. And that was the time when cinema was very, very strong. 1947, we said, because Lenin himself, one of the fathers of the Soviet revolution, October 1917 revolution, had been quoted Lenin, I mean, as saying of all the forms of art, cinema is the most important to communicate with masses. Cinema is the most important to connect, to educate the masses, that realist cinema, or cinema that would reflect reality. Of course, Semben did not, um, did not get into the theories of, uh, realist cinema and so on, so Soviet realism. But he was only interested in learning the techniques of filmmaking so that he can go back to Africa. So that's why he spent only one year in the Soviet Union. And he said it, he never got interested into learning the theories, but the practice of cinema. Then he goes back to Africa in 1962 and he makes the first ever film made in Africa by an African and for Africans. Yes, and that was uh, Barom Saret, which was released in 1963. And uh, this was a short film, I think about 20 minutes, um, which dealt with a taxi driver who has his car confiscated for entering an expensive housing estate, which was previously occupied by the French colonialists and has now been occupied by um, West African bourgeoisie and this in a in a nutshell speaks to a lot of the themes of Semben's literary and film work um the colonial legacy of the French and the replication of colonial and class structures by an emerging post-colonial society um so I wonder if we could just spend maybe a few minutes talking about um Baram Saret being made in a country that didn't really yet have much of a film industry. So how did he go about making the film? Yes, let's just first deconstruct a myth about Semben being, I'm among, I am among the people who dubbed him as the father of African cinema. That paternity 
is not historical or chronological paternity, meaning he was not the first West African, Sub-Saharan African to make films. That was done by Paulin Sumanu Vieira, another Beninese, Senegalese filmmaker, who was the first West African to be accepted at the Institute in Paris, uh, Paris Institute for Filmmaking in 1950s. But Vieira made his films, his early short film in France, at a time when there was a French legislation called the Laval Decree, which prohibited Africans from picking up a camera and making films in Africa. So it was not Semben the first to make a film, but he was the first to make it in Africa for Africans in 1963. I just wanted to clarify that first. So Semben finishes his training in 1962 in Moscow. He lives with an old 16 millimeter camera. Story goes that it is Mark Donkoy who had given it him. So he arrives in Senegal two years after independence with, of course, an ideal script, no money, no film industry, except maybe every week you had the, the newsreels. That same Paulin Vieira I told you about who was in Paris, who made his film, had already left Paris to come settle in Senegal and to be the director of Newsreel. So the only infrastructure, film infrastructure that existed was the Newsreel. There was no film schools. There were no equipment. There was no money. So Semben basically had only his camera. He had only his script. And uh, from a shoestring, he made those films by just, he was wanted to make a film for the people and wanted to make a popular cinema far away from the studio industrial dream factory of Hollywood. So what did he do? He took his relatives, he took his friends, he took the common people he met on the street for cast, not because he could not find professional professional trained actors, actually, because Semben has been quoted as saying, when he was asked, why don't you take professional comedians? He said, well, com pro uh, <laughs> professional comedians are only good to play gangsters and dead kings, that you could not cast a Hollywood character to play a Senegalese person. So he deliberately took people on the street, took his relatives and took his friend and made that film, of course, using leftover film scripts that were sent to him from his friends in, in, in Paris. After he finished the shoot, of course, there is no studio for editing. He took everything. He went back into, into France. And how did, he, uh, how did he edit the film? waiting until at night when the studios were closed, he was allowed to go back by himself and to, to do his editing of the film. So we could say that he made that first, all of his film, until his last film in 2004, all of Semben's film were made the same way, in a very, very sober way, because he 
did not want, well, of course he wanted the money to make his film, but he did not want that material wealth to influence the creativity of his, because he said to himself, he said, I'm not an artist. I am an artisan, I'm a craftsman. So what was more important for him was not really the technological prowess of cinema filmmaking, but making a film like a shoemaker would make a shoe, as a blacksmith would make a hoe, and so on and so forth. He wanted to remain close to the people. Yeah, and um, you know, you mentioned his relationship with with France there, which obviously is a theme running through running through his life and work. And you know, his breakthrough hit and his first feature film is uh, La Noir de or the Black Girl um, from I think nineteen sixty six, which is a story of neo colonialism. Uh, it's a really beautiful and moving and film that seems quite simple, but there's an awful lot going on under the surface um so it's shot in black and white and it's about a young black woman working in Antibes in the south of France uh, who was played really beautifully by uh Therese Diop uh and she gets treated as a servant by this white middle class family um treated really quite appallingly um and uh uses flashbacks to cut between France and Senegal, and it was the first uh, African feature to be uh, produced and directed by an African. So can we just talk for um, a couple of minutes about the impact that film had um, in in France and Senegal? Yes, uh, there is also a context because, I mean, this is going to be a recurring thing in Samben's work. He made 10 feature films. 90% of all his films are based on novels and short stories, so meaning they are adaptations. I said earlier that Samben himself said that he prefers literature, but literature is for the elite. So he would write a book and to share it with the people, he would make a film out of it. So Black Girl was an adaptation of a short story that he had written and published in 1962. So he made the film, of course, started making the film in 1965. As we said, he already made Borom Saret. He now back in Senegal, he has settled and he has launched his, his career. Now, the release of the film in 1966, that context is also very, very important because the premiere of the film was in Dakar, March, I think 1966, during the Festival of Black Arts, the first world festival of black art. So Semben benefited from that platform in which luminaries from the United States, uh, Duke Ellington, for instance, uh, um, uh, how do I call it again? Yes, and then from the Caribbean, MSSR, from everywhere. So it was under the same roof. Semben was able to show his film to all the black artists. And uh, not just black, but all the artists around the world, including, but not limited to, Andre Malraux, who is an the French Minister of Culture. So that film really, again, 
gave Semben a visibility which he did not have, of course, with, with Borom Saret. But you just kind of summarized the, the how do you call it, the storyline of, uh, of Black Girl. Semben was asked, why did you make the film? He said, well, we were six years into our independence. And I realized as an artist that we had a false start. That for us, independence meant only a national anthem and a flag. But the structures of colonialism had persisted under Senghor and people call it new colonialism or post-colonialism or however you call it, that the relationship between France and Senegal, the relationship between Europe and Africa had not changed a bit. So it was a, a denunciation of those neo-colonial structures put in place by France and continued by African leaders like Senghor. So it was a point of departure, a break up between Semben, the artist or whom the, like Chinua uh, Achebe would put it, the man of the people who breaks ties with an intellectual and political elite that was completely inferiorated to the interests of the, the Europeans. So that is important. And the film was so important that after it released in 1966, in 1967, Semben was the first African to be invited to be member of the jury at the Cannes Film Festival in 1967. And that same year, he was invited to be also part of the jury at the Moscow Film Festival. So that kind of really brought Semben into the area of the great world film makers. Uh, he knew, of course, all the, I told you he did not learn about the theory of filmmaking in Moscow, but certainly he knew the French New Wave, uh, the expressive power of the French New Wave. He knew, of course, the neorealist approach to, 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 to cinema in, in, in Italy. But already in Black Girl, Semben set the first move towards searching for a genuinely African film aesthetic, a genuinely film language that would reflect African reality. So it was with Black Girl that, uh, that of course, yes, he uses here Black again while coming back to the negative movement, but again, like in Guts Bits of Wood, he would not raise the issue only in terms of race, but also in terms of class, basically. So that kind of deepens further Semben's involvement with Marxism under the eye through which he sees Africa and its relationship with France. Yeah, um, you're listening to Suite 212 here on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm your host, Juliet Jakes, and today I'm talking to Dr. Samba Gajigo about the life and work of the Senegalese writer and filmmaker Usman Semben. Um, so Samba, you you talk there about um, you know the great steps forward that Semben made um, with and after the Black Girl in creating a Senegalese and indeed an African cinema. And I want to talk now about the fact that after the Black Girl, um, Semben starts making 
films in Wolof, uh, which is a West African language spoken in what's now um, Senegal and Gambia and Mauritania uh, primarily. And so perhaps we could take um, a couple of of films together, um, both of which were based on Semben's own novels, as he often did. Um, and so one of those is uh, Mandabi uh, from 1968. And the other is the first Semben film that I saw, which was Shala in uh, Hala in, uh, in 1974. Um, I think I'd actually like to maybe focus on Hala um, because I think it's a really interesting uh, story of post-independence Senegal. Uh, and of course, it's um, an attack on uh, Leopold Sedar Senghor, amongst others. Um, so perhaps we should focus on, on that novel, um, on on, uh, on that film, because we don't have uh, time for an in-depth discussion of um, of all of Semben's work, sadly. Um, so so yeah, yeah um, maybe you could like talk us through something of the plot and how it criticised post-independent Senegal. Yeah, basically, but I think uh, we, we could not just uh, uh, skip Mandabi because, as you mentioned, it is really a very, very important moment in Semben's creativity. I mean, he wrote all these novels and he made two films, including, of course, Black Girl, which we have discussed. But still, Semben used the colonial, the colonial language in those two films. So Mandabi, Le Manda, was really the first he made in a wall of language, which cinematically was a revolution. Culturally, it was a, 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 a revolution, certainly, which is the appropriation and the revitalizing of African languages in the same line as Ngugi Wachongo's decolonizing the mind because of the cultural the linguistic policies in Africa having the worst form of colonization. But to come back to Hala, Hala, we could say it's a Follow, follow into Semben's exploration of uh, Senegal's situation after, after independence. Now, he made Khala, X-A-L-A, which has two meanings in Wolof. First, Khala means an induced temporary sexual importance, a metaphor of the inability of what he called the African bourgeoisie, which is not a bourgeoisie producer of wealth, but a comprador bourgeoisie. Comprar in Spanish means to, to buy, meaning we are, what we have is not a bourgeoisie producer of wealth, but a consumerist, uh, bourgeois, a consumer bourgeoisie. So that's the first meaning of khala. But khala also means in Wolof, a bow. You know, when you are hunting, a bow. Well, you know, the bow is that weapon that can have this large extension. But once it loses that elasticity and it's, uh, that elasticity and that functionality, it loses its ability to function, so basically. So it is, the story is very, very simple. It is a war at the beginning of independence, of course. You have all the intellectual elite closed in the clothes of the people, closed 
to the people drumming and celebrating. And then Semben cuts there and shows us we are here at the Chamber of Commerce. And again, just to go back a little bit, like all of Semben's film, it is based on two stories. Because the Chamber of Commerce was created by the French in 1888. And it so happened that from 1888 to 1970, meaning 10 years into Senegal's independence, that Chamber of Commerce was dominated and directed by French. So it was in 1970 that, that there was that change of guard for the first time a Senegalese and a group of Senegalese businessmen were promoted to run the Chamber of Commerce. It is that historical moment that Semben seized to show the advance of our local bourgeoisie to power, their corruption, their inability. Uh, actually, he uses it through that, that metaphor of the sexual importance, meaning they have not been able to generate, to copulate, to produce a new a new Africa, basically. And it's so interesting here, the main character in the film, Elijah Abdelkader Bey, has three wives. The one wife was before independence, that was a strength of our colonization. The second wife was at the beginning of independence, and then the third one was at the beginning, if you will, of our new colonial period time. And it is a third wife that Elijah Abdelkader Bey could not sexually consumed because he had become important. So it was a vitriolic attack against the neo-colonial government of Senghor and against Senghor himself because even the casting, even the language, even the style of speaking was copied on Semben himself. I mean, the main character had the same height of Semben basically. So that film, has constituted the most direct attack yet of Semben against, against Leopold Sedar Senghor. And it had also polarized the Senegalese intellectual landscape. On the one side, Senghor for the promotion of French, French values and French interests. And at the polar opposite, Usman Semben for the promotion of African languages, for the promotion of a new class of Africans who would develop. Africa. So it, it, of course, it's also Sembe, the film that showed Semben, who has become this fearless artist, spokesman of the people. Yeah, um, like I said, it was it was the first uh, film of, of his that I saw, and I found it very striking. Um, and of course, we're having to take a bit of a whistle stop tour through the actual work, uh, which is which is a shame because there's so much to say about it. But um, I want to spend five minutes now talking about um, another film of, of Semben's that I think is a genuine masterpiece, which is uh, Camp de Chiroy, uh, which is a hugely ambitious film, uh, 150 minutes long, um, that Semben made in the late 1980s, uh, documenting uh, a massacre that happened during... World War II. Um, so it's based very much on a true story about Senegalese soldiers returning from fighting for France in the Second World War, um, where they've been kept in German POW or even concentration camps. Um, and the film uh, follows them in Camp de Chiroy, which is a transit camp where they're waiting for demobilization and repatriation 
uh, back into um, other parts of uh, West Africa. Um, but in the film, uh, you see their severance pay being drastically cut, um, terrible conditions in the camp. It's basically a POW camp uh, and the soldiers revolt. Um, and then that night, the night of the 30th of November 1944, the French army uh, attacked the camp with tanks. Uh, the numbers killed uh, unknown. The French claimed it was 35, uh, whilst veterans um, of the war claimed it was more than 300. Um, but the film is a really complex and I think searing condemnation of, of colonialization, um, of colonialism, and of the events that are written out of history. Um, and even though it won the uh, the jury special grand prize in Venice, it didn't screen in France in 1998. So um, Samba, I'll bring you back in here. If you could just sort of tell us briefly about um, the making of the film, because there's some controversy around the film's funding and the fact that it was Sam Ben who ended up making um, the film on this hugely important uh, event in Senegalese history. Um, and its reception uh, may be in, in France and Senegal as well. Yeah, Chikande uh, Charoi is monumental, as you hinted at, because it is, when you look at Sement's film production of the 10 feature films he made, 30% were focused on historical events. The first historical event he made, one film he made was in 1971 called Emitai. It was about the forced conscription of African soldiers to go to World War II. We talked about Blaise Jang at the beginning of our discussion, who helped recruit soldiers during World War I. Well, this is about the recruiting of soldiers in, 19, uh, in World War II. Right? That film was banned, of course, in France. Then in 1976, he made his second historical film about Islam, titled Chedo in 1976, and that film was banned in Senegal. Then in 86, we come to Kando Charoi, which was also released in 1989, but was banned in France for 10 years. I think to understand Kandu Charoi, and the, understand also the, all the interest it triggered, the controversy it triggered, and also the, the reception of it. We have to, just a little bit of history, certainly. There have been, what Semben was doing in that film is very, very important historically, because history and historical narrative has been very, very important in the, the relationship between colonizer and the colonized. First move of the colonization was with the German philosopher Hegel. So the first move was to deny Africans any type of history. And Hegel is quoted as saying, as far as historical movement is concerned, Africa is a cold continent. And I quote, the only history in Africa is the history of the white man in Africa, total denial. Second, when it cannot be denied, it is falsified. Or third, total silence. Well, when you look at the film at the beginning, when the soldiers arrive at the Kandu Charoi, you have this big plaque that said Kandu Charoi. One of the last frames of the film is Kandu Charoi has disappeared. 
So for Semben, the main objective was to reopening of a page of history, which was buried under the ashes by the friends, trying to erase our memory of World War II. What was that memory? It is a memory of colonial massacres that happened not only in Dakar, in Charoi in 1944, as you said, had happened in Madagascar in 1947, had happened in Dimbokoro in Cote d'Ivoire, had happened in, uh, in, uh, in Indochina in Pulo Condor, and it had happened also later in Algeria during the liberation. So Semen wanted to reopen that pages of Franco-African relationship that France tried to bury under the ashes. So it is a work of rehabilitation of a memory. Because some men think that history, our relationship is very, very important. So important, that film was so disturbing for the French that during the filming itself, French military, French army, French general flew helicopters over the set to interrupt the filming, to, to the making of the, uh, the, the filming of the images. And of course, when the filming was over, the editing was over, the film was also banned in, the film was also banned in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in France because it was a denunciation, not only of a French subversion of history, but also it's very, very, very interesting. The massacre happened in December, 1944. Already in January, 1944, Charles de Gaulle, after these brave Africans participated, gave their blood and their life for the liberation of France, Charles de Gaulle went to Brazzaville right, in the Congo, and made a speech, something to the effect that an autonomy of Africa outside of the French empire is not even imaginable. So what Semben is saying is that the massacre in Charoi was an implementation of de Gaulle's attempt to stifle any validity any movement of independence into the egg because those soldiers yes they were fighting for their exploitation for their pays and so on but what was more important and dangerous for france is that these soldiers who left their villages and went to fight in europe has completely demystified their relationship with the white man they had become very, very conscious of their own humanity and their own value. And they had also been, I would not say victims, they benefited what I would call a mantle fracture. They went with a colonial submissive mind in fighting next to the French to, for the liberation of France. They acquired a thirst for that same freedom. That's what de Gaulle understood. That's what needed to be crushed in the butt. Because if the experience of the soldiers was to spread throughout Africa, bye-bye the French empire. So their killing was a surgical political operation 
kill the validity of, of independence. That was a sense of Kandri Charoy. That's why the French banned the film. Yeah, um, we've we've only got a few minutes left now, so we're going to have to um, move on to um, discuss Semben's final film, and I want to kind of talk about his legacy as we talk about this film. Um, so in the last sort of few minutes of the show, I'd like to just talk about um, Mulada, which came out in 2004, and like a lot of Semben's works deals with religion and religious practices in post-colonial Africa uh, and this particularly deals with female genital mutilation or female circumcision. Mm-hmm. Um, how controversial was was this and um, how did um, Semben cope with making the film as he was losing his sight? Yes, uh, again, Molade is one of I, I was blessed enough to be on the set. I was invited to be on the set of Molade when he was filming it in Burkina Faso in, nine, in June 2002. Samber was 82 years old, almost blind, already very, very sick with, with, with cancer. But that film was actually was in the making from the beginning of Semben's work, this attention he gives to women and to the attention to women in Africa started already with his first work in 1956. All of across all of Semben's work runs this image of women as the foundation of our, of our societies. You have it in Black Docker, we have it in Black Girl, of course, because you have it in Khala, you have it in Mandabi, you have it in Fat Kidney. And female, the film, people say it's, yes, of course, the storyline, the main theme is female genital mutilations, which is still practiced in 38 African countries out of the 54, meaning more than 50% of African humanity is constituted with women. So it is still in the name of tradition or religion that mutilation is practiced. But what some, it, when you look at the film, yes, of course, the, 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 the cement, what get together, all the themes together is female mutilation, genital mutilation. But it is not just that, it is issues of freedom, globalization, freedom of Africa, uh, self-reliance, liberty, and so on and so forth. So it is a metaphor for that. These women who wake up in rural Mali, uh, in rural Burkina Faso, who take their own destiny in the end, it is the agency, the empowerment of women throughout the throughout the throughout the world. I mean, it is really again Semben's vision of Pan-Africanism. The cast of characters came from Mali, from Burkina Faso, from Senegal, from Cote d'Ivoire. The language for the first time, Semben leaves Senegal and he does not use, he does not use Fulani, he does not use Wolof, he does not use Jola, he uses Jula, 
Jula is the language that is used in Mali and that is used in Burkina Faso. When you look at the technical group, it comes from all over West Africa and from France. This Pan-African vision we have dreamed of since Du Bois, which has never been materialized in Africa. That's what artistically Semben made throughout that film, but bringing together a whole continent to make a film. Yeah, and that brings us up to the last couple of minutes of the show. And um, Semben, sadly, died in 2007. Um, but I wondered if you'd just like to conclude by um, just talking for a, for a minute or two um, about what you see as Semben's influence in contemporary um, Senegalese and perhaps contemporary African film. World film, I would say. Semben is not just... After he died today, I think his legacy is not only to Senegal or to Africa, it is to the world. Today, when you see a black British filmmaker, director or actor, it is Semben. When you see luminaries like John Akumfra, or you see John Boyega in London today, or you see a young African-American filmmaker, there is one critic who said, whether you like him or you hate him. When you are a black person, you pick up a camera, Semben is behind you. Not just actually black filmmakers, Semben was part of what is called the third cinema, cinema of the third world. This dialogue between Latin America and Africa and Asia, and also Semben, of course, he is the first African to have a film screened in the United States in 1969 with New Yorker films of Dan Talbot. Today, you cannot talk about African cinema in the United States without first mentioning Semben. Semben was maybe one of the first also to get a prize in Pyongyang in North Korea. So he is not an African icon. He is not a Senegalese icon. He left a legacy to the rest of the world for us to treasure or to screw up. Perfect. And I think that's um, a really lovely place to conclude our discussion of Semben's life and work and, of course, his legacy. And uh, it's a real pleasure to hear so much from, from you as someone who has spent so much time with his work and of course, knew Sam Ben very well, personally. So, Samba, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. My pleasure, my pleasure. And again, uh, this is uh, just the beginning of a conversation, I hope. There is a lot to say about Sam Ben's, uh, Sam Ben's work as we move forward. Because when people ask Sam Ben questions about what he did, he said, I'm not interested in what I did. I'm more interested in what we are going to do. So always forward-looking. Absolutely. Um, so we'll leave it there, listeners. Thanks for joining us on Sweet 212 today. You can find us on Twitter and um, SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, I've been your host, Juliet Jakes, and I'll be back at the same time and place next month. So see you then. Take care. Goodbye. <laughs>